0: On August the 25th, uh, we posted on our social media um, this this meme, and I I really loved it. Doesn't our social media team do an awesome job? If you don't follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you're missing out. You should be following us on Instagram and Facebook, and you should be reposting all the stuff we post because what we believe is that it's not just something we do to promote the church. We don't see it as advertisement. We actually see it as an extension of our discipling voice into our community. So everything we post there is an extension of what we believe God is saying to us. And so if you're not on there or reposting that stuff, you're really missing out on an opportunity. And on August 25th, social media team posted a a meme and it said this: "It said we don't want a moment." We want a movement of God. And I loved that because I felt like that was such a, uh, just such a, a way to summarize what it is or who we are as North Place and what we believe, what we're looking for. We, we love having moments with God and that's wonderful. Uh, but, but as a disciple-making community, what we're, we're believing God for are, are a movement. We want to be a movement. We believe that God has called us as north place church to be a movement in our city uh, to be a movement in this nation and around the world we believe that there is a global move of god that is happening and we're one small part of that but we want to be a part of that we're passionate about pursuing that and and today i just want to talk about i want to talk about movement i want to share some things that god has laid on my heart next week i'm going to begin a new series uh, of messages called marathon uh, a marathon faith you want to bring guests with you next week. Uh, life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And I've, lo- I've learned along the way that if I'm going to be effective in being the husband, the father, the man that God has called me to be, then I have to have the perspective and the perseverance of a marathon runner. And I believe that Scripture has a lot to say about that. Um, I believe that there are a lot of us who deal with disappointment We deal with anxiety and fear and brokenness in our life because we're we're actually moving from moment to moment to moment. And we don't have the perspective or the perseverance to really run for the long haul in our our careers. I think a lot of us make a lot of career mistakes uh, because we're moving from moment to moment instead of thinking strategically over a long period of time. Many of us struggle with frustration in our relationships because we have a week starting next Sunday, and I believe that there are probably a lot of people in your life um, who you're, you minister to on a regular basis. If they could understand uh, strategically living their life like a marathon runner, it would lead them into a lot of peace and a lot of freedom. And so um, before we get to that, I, I just wanted to share what I, what I felt like God had laid on my heart uh, for us as North Lace. As North Place, uh, we have a vision clear to us at North Place. We believe uh, that we are being a catalyst of transformational change for our city by compassionately responding to its needs and those of the world around us while making Jesus Christ known through following his direct command to be a disciple-making community. We are a disciple-making community. We respond out of compassion to our world. We do that through the various ways in which we engage our community and in which we engage the world. And then ultimately, we're pointing people to Jesus. Look, um, I'm gonna disappoint you from time to time. Some of you, you know, you're nodding your head because you know, you've experienced it. Some of you have eyes wide open and you're like, oh my goodness, I hope not. Listen, I'm a man, I'm a person, I'm gonna disappoint you, I'm gonna make mistakes. Look to your right, everyone look to your right. Look to your left. I promise you, those people on your right and your left, they're gonna disappoint you, it's gonna happen. Some of you are like, yeah, boy, she disappoints me all the time. People are going to disappoint you. That's, that's reality. Uh, if you want a perfect church, you haven't found it today. If you want a perfect church, North Place isn't for you because we're not a perfect church. We're not perfect people. In fact, I, I want to let you in on a secret. There is no perfect church. But there are churches that can pursue perfection, and the pursuit of perfection is the pursuit of Jesus. And any church that is not pursuing Jesus any church that's pursue, uh, pursuing social justice or pursuing doing good or pursuing some profit or pursuing some experience, while those things may be wonderful and grand, they're going to they're end up leaving you and I with an empty soul because the only way that our souls are filled is that we pursue Jesus because we're going to disappoint one another. Jesus is not going to disappoint us. And so here at North Place, we're passionately in pursuit of Jesus because we know that He is the answer for the world. He is the answer for us. And as we've been in this process of planting this church and in pursuit of Jesus, we've experienced a a lot of challenges. When you when you attempt to pursue Jesus in the presence of Jesus, you're going to face challenges. You're going to face obstacles. How many of you have been serving Jesus long enough to know that sometimes you face challenges? Yeah, it's just the way that it is. Uh, life is full of challenges, and even the pursuit of Jesus is full of challenges. Trying to be the church that God has called us to be is full of challenges. Sometimes those challenges exist because we make mistakes. Sometimes those challenges exist because people get jealous and people don't like what you're doing. Sometimes those challenges exist because we have an enemy, the enemy of our soul who hates us, who wants to destroy us. There is an enemy that hates what's happening at North Place Church. He hates, look around you, look around the room. Please stop for a second and look around the room. Look, folks, please, can I speak to the elephant in the room? It's only 2023. The devil hates the diversity that he sees in this room. He hates it. He wants us convinced that white people need to be worshiping only here, over here with only white people. Hello? That Indian people need to be over here and just have their Indian churches The Zulus need to be over here and have their Zulu churches. He wants to keep us segregated. That's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants to convince us that our earthly culture is more important than the culture of the kingdom of God. And he wants us convinced that we can't sacrifice our earthly culture so that we can be a part of his kingdom culture. He wants us to prop our earthly culture up on a pedestal and to seek our earthly culture above his kingdom culture. He hates what happens at North Place on Sunday morning. So he's going to fight it. He's going to do everything that he can to fight it. He's going to convince us that we don't belong together. We shouldn't worship together. The enemy hates what he says. He hates that life transformation is taking place. He hates that some of you are freer today than you were yesterday. He hates that some of you are not dealing with depression and anxiety and fear like you were six months ago. He hates the fact that you're not suicidal like you were a year ago. He hates the fact that two years ago your marriage was falling apart, but now you're living in health and peace. He hates that. And so he's going to do everything that he can to fight that. So, yes, we face opposition. We face difficulty. Sometimes it's because of mistakes we make. I make a lot. Sometimes it's because other people hate us. Sometimes it's because the enemy hates us. But in spite of that opposition, we keep moving forward as a movement for the sake of his kingdom. Why? Because his kingdom is coming, and his kingdom is what's going to make a difference in my life, and in the lives of those around me. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, the Bible says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven." And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is a a pivotal passage of scripture Uh, It's a pivotal time in the history of the establishment of the church. I just wanted to read it by way of introduction this morning because I wanted to establish this one simple concept, and this is this. Jesus promised that he would build his church against all opposition. There were people who were confused about who Jesus was. There were people who were jealous about the, the, the crowd that Jesus was building, and so they were fighting against Uh, what Jesus was doing, there were people who didn't understand because they had believed a form of religion and belief about the coming Messiah that was incorrect. They had incorrectly interpreted scripture so that the Messiah that would come would meet the needs that they want and to give them political and social power rather than bring transformational change. And so when Jesus came, they didn't recognize him. They didn't understand him because they wanted political power. They wanted wealth. They wanted social power. They didn't want real freedom. And while they may have wanted freedom for themselves, they certainly didn't want freedom for other people. And so when Jesus came, they didn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. And Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, but who do you say that I am? What is your revelation of who I am? Peter, of course, being the vocal one, said, well, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter And upon this rock, now, a lot of people misinterpreted this passage of Scripture and made it about Peter. It was not about Peter. It was on the revelation that Peter had received. I'm teaching you something right now. Because a lot of people misinterpreted this passage for many, many years, and they thought it was all about Peter. So you have whole entire segments of the church throughout church history who have believed that the keys of the kingdom of God belonged to Peter. The keys of the kingdom of God did not belong to Peter. The keys of the kingdom of God belonged to the local church was on the revelation that Peter received, which was that Jesus was the Messiah that released the kingdom on the earth through the local church. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will prevail against it. In other words, it won't prevail against it. In other words, nothing that happens, no opposition that takes place will be able to keep God from doing what God desires to do on the earth. So COVID may come and shut the church down. Four times, but guess what? Jesus says, I will build my church. You may be a church plant that's five years old and still not have a sign on your building. I don't know if you haven't noticed. (laughs) But Jesus said, I will build my church. Hello? How did any of you ever find this place? What are you doing here? Have you not noticed we still don't have a sign? But Jesus said, I will build my church. See, here's the thing, when God determines something in his heart and he says, I'm going to do something, there's nothing the enemy can do that can stop it. Here's what's so crazy is that the enemy thought he had stopped it by crucifying Jesus and all he did was multiply it. The enemy tries to subtract, God says, let me show you something, let me multiply this. When God determines that he's going to build his church, there's nothing the enemy can do. The enemy may be able to maybe the enemy may be able to redirect things, but ultimately God is bringing it back around because God has a purpose and a plan. And when people have a revelation of Jesus that is accurate, nothing can that well that was the key. That was the key. When people have an accurate revelation of Jesus, there's nothing that can be done to stop what God wants to do. See, here's how you all... Well, how do I know if this is a good church? Is this a right church? Is Is there an accurate representation of Jesus? Not is everybody perfect or everything perfect? Not does it worship the way I want to worship? Not do I like this? No, is it an accurate representation of Jesus? If it's an accurate representation of Jesus, if the gospel is purely being preached, if you're being pointed to Jesus as the son of God over and over and over again, guess what? There's nothing the end enemy can do that can stop the work of God movements will face opposition how many of you have ever tried to accomplish anything in your life ever tried to do anything ever tried to start anything new critics are a dime a dozen you can find them everywhere if you've never faced critics you've never tried to do anything because if you ever try to do anything, any, especially anything different, there's always going to be people lined up to tell you what you're doing wrong. There's always going to be people who are lined up to tell you the mistakes that you're making, lined up to tell you all the little things about what you're doing that doesn't look right. There's always critics. And here Jesus was healing people Here Jesus was sacrificing everything for the sake of other people, and yet there were critics. Jesus himself had critics. Guess what? You're going to face critics. I'm going to face critics. Sometimes the critics are right, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when we continue with the right revelation of Jesus. Nothing can stop the move of God. One of the things you're going to have to understand in your life is that just because you have critics doesn't mean you're off course. Let me say that again, because it's not on the screen, so you need to hear it so you can write it down, plug it in your phone. Because some of you have been taught that anytime you receive criticism, it means that you're wrong and that you're off course. Some of you have been taught that anytime you face opposition, it must mean that you're doing something wrong. But I promise you this, just because you have critics doesn't mean you're off course. Just because you're facing opposition doesn't mean you're off course. In fact, not always, but in fact, the very presence of opposition, the very presence of critics means you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. I'm often worried when everybody's telling me I'm doing everything right. When there's no one to disagree with me, it causes me to get concerned. Some of us are so insecure and dependent upon approval that we can never do anything that causes anyone to ever question anything we do. And we need to grow up and we need to mature and we need to become emotionally healthy so that we can face opposition because anyone who's ever accomplished anything great has faced opposition. The church itself faces opposition. We have not been called to be liked. We have been called to love. Everybody isn't gonna like everything that we do. Everything isn't gonna, everyone isn't gonna like everything that you do. But here's, notice what Jesus, he was facing opposition, he was facing people who had a wrong revelation of him, facing his critics, and he had asked his disciples, and then I love how Jesus did this, and boy, what a lesson in making disciples. If you want to make disciples, which by the way, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be making disciples, what you can learn from Jesus is, what Jesus did was, he asked, he asked powerful questions, and Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, but who do you say that I am? What revelation do you have of me? Who am I to you? You see, when you face opposition and you face criticism, you have to ask yourself the question, who is Jesus to me? What is my revelation? See, people are gonna come and they're gonna question your motives. One of the craziest craziest experiences for me when I moved to South Africa to plant this church was I, I would tell people about what we were doing and I just thought, oh, people will be excited. They'll think it's great. And people would just look at me like, like crossways, like, like, wh- why are you really here? What is your, what is really your motivation? What, what, what is your game? What's your scam? Some of you have been waiting to figure out what my scam is this whole time. I'm here on a volunteer visa. I still don't get a salary. There's no scam. There's still no scam. I was, it was, it tripped me out the fact that there was. And isn't that human nature? We're always looking like, what is, what is the other side of the coin? What is this person's game? What is, their, what is their scam? And yet, in all of that, Jesus said, but Peter, who do you, disciples, who do you say? What is your revelation? What do you really see? What do you really know? What is true? You see, when you face opposition, you have to determine what your experience is. You're going to hear things, you're going to, you're going to, people are going to gripe, they're going to complain, things are going to happen, but you have to stop and ask yourself the question, if you're going to be a movement, if you're going to move in the direction of what God has for you, you're going to have to be anchored in your revelation of Jesus. North Place, we have to be anchored in what our revelation of Jesus is. I say it all the time. We have to be centered on the gospel. No matter what, we have to come back to the gospel. This is who Jesus is. This is what I know God has said to me. This is who I know God has revealed himself to be in my life. When you face hardship, when you face difficulty, when things don't go the way that we think we're going to go, we have to come back to this. But this is who I know God is to be, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says this, and it's talking about the end times. It says, and they overcame him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the lamb, by, so the gospel, the work of Jesus, what we celebrated this morning. But then get this, by the word of their testimony, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Some of us, if we're gonna be a part of this movement that God has called us to be, if we're gonna be consistently moved towards the things of God, you gotta learn how to testify. I grew up uh, in church, and uh, my parents are here, so they can. So I tell you guys all these crazy stories about growing up. You can ask them if they're true now. When I was a little boy, my, my mom and dad now pastor the church that I remember formatively in my early childhood, uh, um, and we would have what was called testimony service. Uh, so during service, think about if you didn't, you didn't grow up in church, you didn't experience this. During church, during, they would they'd say, anybody have a testimony? And they would like pass the microphone around. We're not doing that, so don't even think that's going to happen. I got a little more experience now, but... Uh, But back then they did that and that was crazy because you never knew what anybody was gonna say. And there was that deacon who had to, he was like, he would have to run and dive and get the microphone from people because people get a little too personal sometimes. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. If you don't, just Google it. It comes up, it's still, it's crazy. But I remember as a little kid, like learning what I believed by the word of my testimony. I remember six, seven, eight, nine years old, like, I don't know why they would give me that microphone, and I'd just take off, man, and I would just start <laughs> confessing and declaring what, and I learned, like, I, like, my faith became real to me by the word of my testimony. I'm still not passing around a microphone, but, <laughs> but some of us need to learn. We need to learn how to declare our testimony. We need to begin to practice the declaration of what we believe. This is why we're so passionate about worship. We're passionate about worship because worship teaches you to declare by the word of your testimony what your experience with God is. I don't know what some of y'all's problems are because I know the music you listen to. I know the way you behave at sporting events. I know the way you behave when you're in other musical events. And we leave all this space up here for you to sing and dance and declare, and yet you stay back there in your seat like some old white guy. And I know that's not who you are. We give you all this space. To learn to declare. And it's time, it's time that some of us start declare. Some of us, God has called us to be a part of a movement. He's building his church. He's building his church. His church, not our church, not our idea of what church is supposed to be, but his church. And you know how his church gets built? His church gets built when his people begin to declare his goodness when they begin to confess with the word of their testimony, whatever that looks like for you, an old white guy, if that means you stay in seat, that's fine. But some of you are old white guy and you need to start being young whatever guy. I'm starting to make some people (laughs) nervous now. So I'll get off of this. But you hear what I'm saying, right? Whatever the word of your testimony looks like, that's what you've got to begin to declare But some of us are inconsistent in this movement of God because we're trying to make our faith look like somebody else's faith. And the faith of North Place as a community is diverse, which means there's room for all kinds of expressions. And you need to feel free. You need to be free to move in that expression. And guess what? I'm okay with the critics. If people want to criticize the way you worship, the way you confess, they can find somewhere else to go. Because in this house, there's room. In this tapestry, That God is building at North Place, which is going to declare his glory to this city of what it looks like for people to be unified under the banner of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of room for a lot of expressions and you need to feel free. You need to be comfortable to begin to declare with your mouth because the Bible teaches us that we are overcomers. Yes, by his blood, but also by the word of our testimony. there'll always be critics. We'll just let them keep doing their thing. We're not going to change their mind anyways. Well, what I really wanted to preach about today, let me get on to that. That was the overflow of being gone for six weeks. So I'm still on time. It's good. It's good. Mark chapter 12, I mean, excuse me, Mark chapter two, verses one through 12. It says this, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I'm going to share just a few thoughts about movements. Movements are created through passionate momentum. Jesus has been going around. He's been healing. He's been doing miracles. He's been preaching the kingdom and the gospel, and uh, people are excited. And so as a result, he's come back home, and people are so excited about the stories that they're healing. Hearing of the confessions of faith that the Bible says the room is jammed, packed full, so full that people can't even get in the house. There's so much momentum that people can't get in the house. I wonder, um, I wonder what that looks like. I wonder what it looks like for there to be so much momentum among the people declaring the kingdom, declaring the testimony of what God has done for them that People are so excited that there's no more room. Movement happens when there is momentum. Momentum comes from people sharing their experience, declaring what God has done for them. And as you read this story, there's so much momentum, there's so much excitement because of what Jesus is doing that there's these people who have a friend who's a paralytic And they come to the place where they hear that Jesus is going to be. And when they get there, when they get there, there's no room. And so they aggressively take matters into their own hands. And the Bible says that they get up on the roof and they tear a hole in the roof to let the man down into the place where he can be near Jesus and receive his healing. Think about that. Think about how dramatic That must have been to be in a moment where the presence of God was so tangible, in a place where people were so passionately sharing their experience that the place was filled. Through the confession, through their declaration, come to this this place, come hear this Messiah, come receive this message because this is what's happened in my life. This is the change that has happened in my life. This is the transformation that has happened in my life. Church, I'm I'm gonna be really super honest with you. My, My prayer, my heart, my passion for us as North Place is that there's enough of us in this room, there's enough of us in this building that are having such tremendous change, experiencing such tremendous relief and release and healing and hope because of what God is doing in our life that we create enough momentum that there's not enough room. Oh, my goodness, he wants to build another building. No, I don't. No, no, I don't. That's the last thing on my mind. But, but what I do want is I want, people, I want people to be free. I want people to experience hope. I want people to experience life. There are people who are in religious bondage like these Pharisees, and they, they thought they were religious. They thought they were doing the right thing. They were living according to the law, and they had no freedom. They were in religion, but they were bound. There were people who were worshiping pagan gods and they were still bound. There were people dealing with sickness and disease and yet something was happening that was bringing change and freedom. And my heart is that we at North Place become people who are so free. We're so free. We've experienced so much of the love of God and the change and the transformation of God. No, we won't be perfect. Yes, we will have critics. Yes, we will make mistakes. No, everything won't be perfect. But there's something so tangible about what God is doing that there's not enough room. And then it gets even crazier that, that, that we are so convinced of what God is doing that we're bringing people with us. Imagine that. And we're bringing people with us. Meredith mentioned it uh, earlier. We have days like next Sunday. Yes, we want to have fun. Yes, we want to party. It's a part of our culture but we have days like next Sunday to try to make it as easy as possible for you to bring people with you who need to experience Jesus. Because here's the thing, I know some of you know paralytics. Well, they may be walking on their two legs, but emotionally they're paralyzed. I know some of you know paralytics. Yeah, they, they may go to work every day, they may have a wonderful job, they may drive a nice car, but inside they're dying. I know you know them. I know you have friends and neighbors. Some of them, please, please, please hear me, hear my heart. Um, I want to be very, very careful and very, very clear about this. Some of you have people in your life who go to churches but are dying on the inside. Now, I'm not talking about churches that are preaching the pure gospel. There are some wonderful churches in our city that are preaching the pure gospel, and they're doing incredible things, and we're so excited to be partners with them in what God is doing. But there are also religious institutions in this city that are not preaching the truth. They're not preaching the truth. They're not preaching Jesus. They're not preaching the purity of the gospel. And so we're surrounded by a lot of religious people, not just Christians, but other religions who are religious but are not free. And many of us know those people. I'm praying that God would so put it in your heart in my heart that we're so broken by others' brokenness that we're doing whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. We're paying whatever price is necessary to get them to Jesus. And then my prayer is that we as North Place Church are willing to put up with any inconvenience. Oh, you need to hear this, church. That we're willing to put up with any inconvenience, no matter what it may cost us, to get people to Jesus. Now, we worked really hard on all of this. Like, it's going to cost you something to be a place that is experiencing a movement. It's going to cost you something to be a place that's experiencing a movement. There's gonna be some inconveniences. There's gonna be some prices to be paid. Why do we keep raising money for RFK? Why do you keep asking us to give for RFK camp? Because it cost you something. It costs you something to be a place of movement. It costs you something. Sometimes you don't get to sing the songs you want to sing. Because there's other songs that are resonating. Sometimes service doesn't go the way we want it to go. Sometimes we don't get to linger the way we want to linger. Sometimes we don't, you you hear what I'm saying? To be a place of movement means there's gonna be inconveniences. There's gonna be things that change. Listen, hear me. There will be a moment in which we run out of room in this service. And we're going to have to have a second service. And some of you are going to get mad because you want to see everybody every Sunday. And having a second service means that you don't get to see everybody every Sunday unless you hang out in the lobby between services. And some of you are going to get upset and, oh, that church only cares about growing, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be a price that has to be paid at some point. My commitment to you is we'll stuff them in here as long as we can stuff them in here. But there will be a moment when we have to have a second service. And when we do, we've got to remember this sermon and say, you know what, it's okay. It's okay. And there's gonna be a moment. I'm gonna freak some of you out right now. There's gonna be a moment in which we turn to this audience and we say, we need 100 of you to commit to going down the road because we're gonna plant another church out of this church 20 or 30 minutes down the road, and I need 100 of you to sign up to be convenience to go be on that church plant team. And it's coming sooner than you think it is. And that moment is gonna come, and if we're gonna be the movement that God has called us to be in the city of Durban, 100 of us are gonna have to drive a little further, and the other 400 of us are gonna have to praise God that room has been made for 100 more people to come here. It's going to happen. And then there will be a third and a fourth. Are you with me today? To be a movement, we have to embrace inconvenience. We have to make space. We have to make room. Some of us are not serving right now in ministry. Some of us have been coming to church here for a long time. Now it's time for you to serve. We need you to serve. We need you to be inconvenienced so that we can raise up others so that other ministry can be developed and grown, because if we're gonna be a movement, roofs have to come off. Things have to be inconvenienced. Things have to change. Are we doing this just so we can grow? Just so we know we're doing this because there's paralytics who need to be healed. This city is full of people who need hope, Amen. who need life. And you know what, we keep the main thing the main thing. And I love what Jesus did. Jesus said, oh, okay. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus kept the main thing, the main thing. The people were like, whoa, wait a second. His, his legs need to be healed. Jesus was like, no, 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 no. The main thing is the main thing. He needs to be free. North Place, we always need to keep the main thing, the main thing. That's my commitment to you as the pastor of this church. And again, you're at least really stuck with me for three more years, whether you like it or not. <laughs> the main thing is the main thing. The main thing is that people find freedom in Christ. Are you hearing me? Yes, that's great. Jesus said, okay, just so let me get up, walk. Healing was wonderful, but healing wasn't the main thing. The sensational wasn't the main thing. Listen, we believe in healing, and we're going to pray for the sick here, and God has already healed people, and he will continue to heal people. We believe in prophecy and word of wisdom and word of knowledge and all those wonderful things. It's great. We, that's wonderful. We're a full gospel church, but the main thing is the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. And so if you want the main thing to be all this other stuff, it's not us. That's wonderful. We participate. We believe in it. We practice it. But the main thing is always Jesus. Jesus isn't the sideshow. He is the main show. And I would tell you if you're a biblical Christian, then Jesus is the main show, not the sideshow. I believe that here in South Africa and a lot of places around the world, we've spent a lot of time and energy chasing the sideshow, and then we don't understand why it doesn't work. I believe if we keep the main show, the main show, we will experience the movement that God has called us to be. Movements are sustained through radical pursuit of the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. And we must keep that our main pursuit. Movements are only as effective as they have clarity. Read verse 5 to you again. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus wanted everyone to understand including that man, that the most important thing, in spite of his pain, in spite of what he was going through, the most important thing was that he had peace, that he had peace within himself and that he had peace with God. I believe the message that we have, North Place Church, for our community, for our world, is to reconcile people to God. I believe people need to know that God sees them, that he loves them, that he cares about them, He passionately pursues them as they respond. In humility to him, he brings transformational change to their life. I believe that is the core of what we preach and what we teach. For many of us, we've been called to be a part of this movement. Some of you have been part of North Place since its earliest days, since our living room. And um, the message has never changed. We have been pursuing Jesus together for a long time now. Some of you have been with us since the Sharks board. And you've seen as we would come in at 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning and clean up trash from the night before's parties that went on at the Sharks Board. Hey, by the way, they can throw some bangers at the Sharks Board, just so you know. Um, If you're ever looking for a place to go, you don't have anything, just go check it out. There could be something crazy going on. And we would clean up after that and get ready for church on Sunday morning. Um, Some of you have been with us since then, and you know, The main thing is the main thing. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we mess up. Yes, we don't get it right all the time. But the main thing is the main thing. Jesus is king, and it's all about him. Some of you have been with us since 10 Meridian Drive. You've seen as we took that little motorcycle shop and did the best we could to turn it into a place where men and women and boys and girls could experience Jesus. We've got a fun story that God has been writing, and it's been such a pleasure and an honor. To be a part of this journey with you. I, I'm so full of faith for what God wants to do in the future. But, but some of us, um, some of us need to embrace those uh those holes in the roof, right? As your pastor, I'm telling you. Some of us need to step up and embrace those holes in the roof, those inconveniences. I believe there's a season coming for us as North Place Church of of a great move of God. I really do. I have a sense in my heart there's going to be a wave of healing that comes into this house, a wave of deliverance and freedom that's coming into this house. I believe that God's going to send a wave of of people to come and experience his power in a new, fresh way. And I I believe that's going to bring some inconveniences. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, some of you, uh, we need you to serve. Some of you are not tithing. Um, This is your church home and you're not tithing. Um, We need you to tithe. You've been testing the waters long enough to decide if this is your church or not. And uh, this is your church. You know God has spoken to you about that. And so it's time for you to start tithing. Um, We live on a shoestring budget um, and it's time for that to be over. Um, I'm just being real and honest with you. I'm tired of carrying that pressure and stress. I can't do it anymore. See how thin my hair is getting? I'm not kidding. The last year I've lost so much hair, it's ridiculous. Nick's giving me crazy haircuts trying to cover my, but it's, it's, it's over. I mean, some of you, you're mature enough. You've been walking with Jesus long enough. Um, it's time for you to start tithing. And we're not asking you to do anything um, above normal. A tithe is a 10%. So if I make 10 rands a week, a rand belongs to Jesus. If I make 10,000 rands a week, a thousand belongs to, it's, it's proportionate. We're not asking you to do anything that any of us don't do. Um, If this is your church, some of you, you don't know yet if this is your church. God bless you. Um, We love you. We're we're happy you're uh, checking us out. And if God calls you to be here, wonderful. Join us in this. If he doesn't, we legitimately bless you wherever he's causing you to go. We We don't pressure people. We want you to understand that. But some of you, you know, you've been here long enough. It's time. Um, It's time for us to have some margin so we can do some of the things that God has called us to do. Uh, For some of us, um, we're not telling our story. Our lives are surrounded by people who are paralyzed and um, we're not telling our story. And now it's time for us to start telling our story. It's time to stop being selfish with the good thing that God is doing in your life. Some of you got friends and loved ones and coworkers who need healing, emotional, spiritual, physical, it's time for you to aggressively do what you need to do to get them to Jesus. Hello? It's time for you to get up, make some cots, bring them to church. Cook briyani, tell them, hey, go to church with me. Afterwards, we'll go eat briyani. Come to church with me. And I actually show up on the Sunday. They show up. Take them to get a donut. Bring them to sit down. We'll wait till you meet my friends. When I was gone, um, we preached at some different churches. And one of the churches we preached at was in North Carolina. And the pastor, um, was a friend of mine. When he was introducing, when he was introducing me, he said, "You know, have you ever have you ever met a made a new friend and?" You you get so excited about introducing your new friend to your old friends because you you just know that when they get together, it's going to be special because you love them both so much. Some for some of us, we have friends and family and loved ones in our lives, and we've been we've been selfish with our we've been selfish with what Jesus has done in our life. Some of you are afraid to bring family members to church with you because their lives are filled with so much drama and you don't want them to come to church because you don't want their drama at church. Some of you are grinning because you know I'm telling the truth. Some of you look real nervous. But the problem is, is they're going to hell. And because we love them, we need to be inconvenienced with their drama. Some of us have coworkers that they're another religion and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to offend them because they're another religion. Listen, there's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. I don't know what popular culture tells you. I don't know what the internet says. There's no way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Jesus plus ancestors, Jesus plus Muhammad, Jesus plus one of 123,000 gods, none of it gets you to heaven. Jesus alone is the only way to heaven. So you can leave them peaceably in their, their religion, they're gonna go to hell. It's time for us to not be selfish with our story any longer. Instead, by the word of our testimony, by the word of our testimony, we are overcomers. That means that we overcome the work of the enemy in someone else's life by confessing the testimony of what God has done in my life. And it's time for many of us to step up and to step into that place and to risk and risk what it takes to speak the truth because it is only the truth that sets people free. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe some of the things I've said has offended you. Maybe it's challenged you. Listen, the story of this man was very simple. In spite of the chaos of the crowd, in spite of his need, in spite of all of the nonsense that was going on around him, Jesus looked at him and he saw him. He saw past his lame legs. He saw past his broken condition and he saw into the man's spirit what he really needed. And he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Here's the truth today. You may be here, and some of the words I've said may have challenged you, they may be difficult, they may even be harsh. And you, Maybe you can't receive from me, but I would encourage you to receive from the Holy Spirit today in the same way that Jesus looked into that man's life and says, your sons are forgiven. He's looking into your life today, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter even what you believe. He looks at you today and he says, here's this gift. It's for you. Will you receive it?